Welcome. I am Allie Parrish, and this is Bringing Down the House podcast. Today, on episode 13, Ja'Kalen and I will be visiting with longtime Iowa Heartland Habitat supporter Wayne Green to explore an often unknown and overlooked part of the Habitat's mission, our international home building and global partnerships. Specifically, we will share heartwarming and inspirational stories about Iowa Heartland's partnership with Habitat for Humanity El Salvador and our work together over the past six and a half years. You don't want to miss it, so stay tuned and reach out about getting involved through our website at webuildhabitat.org or by following Iowa Heartland Habitat for Humanity on social media. And as always, a special thank you to our podcast partner, CC Podcast. Give them a listen too. Well, hello there, everybody, and welcome back to Bringing Down the House. I am Ja'Kayla Madison, alongside the Executive Director of the Iowa Heartland Habitat for Humanity, Miss Allie Parrish. What's up, Ja'Kayla? How you doing, Allie? <laughs> doing good. Oh, that's good to see fun. you again. Good to see you. You know, yes. I, I had a hard time walking in here to record this. Did you? Because it's so beautiful outside. I know. It's... Spring is here. I mean, like, <laughs> first off, Mother Nature was like, okay, so joke's on you. Yeah. I'm going to make it snow, like, six. <laughs> 16 inches uh i had no clue what was happening and then like today like i had my sunroof open my windows were down you know what i think but and Nora's not here right uh, so we can make this decision okay. without her okay i think we need to have an outdoor podcast oh an outdoor podcast okay i'm just saying oh i think so i, I mean i think so and actually if knowing where Nora is she is outside see see See? So if Nora can be outside, why can't we, Allie? I, I, I mean, I'm ready to rebel if you are. I, I, that's all been, that's been my life, Allie. For 24 years, it's just been me rebelling. Like, I mean, come on. Let's be honest. I haven't gotten this far without doing something stupid. Oh, well, I don't think that's the most stupid thing we could do, but I think it would be good. I think we should move on. <laughs> we should move on before I incriminate myself any further. So you know what, Allie? Let's just go ahead to that mission moment. All right, what you got for us? Well, I was thinking about this, and uh, this is one of my favorite times of the year. Not only because it's starting to turn the corner to spring, which is awesome, but uh, traditionally with Iowa Heartland Habitat, this is dedication season. So um, you being on the board, you know that just as well as I do. But um, it just seems that we start to turn the corner on our, our home closings and things are wrapping up. All the winter inside stuff is done, and um, we're turning the corner and, and getting ready for uh, dedication. So I was looking at the calendar uh, recently. And at the next couple of months and things that are going on and we've got, you know, a handful of dedications coming up in the next couple of months. So that's always fun when you start looking, you're like, oh, gosh, there's another one and there's another one. And um, and then I was out on the site a couple of days ago, too, and was talking to both Amanda and Maria families that are coming up very soon in their dedications. And um, they're so excited and that it just, you know, spring is here and dedication season is upon us and seeing these buyers um getting ready to really recognize fully the the you know all the hard work that they put in in the last really couple of years um it's just it's just such a heartwarming thing it's my favorite time of year i i love dedication season and i mean truthfully if i could be honest with you i think that is the main thing that i love i mean okay i shouldn't say the main thing but it's one of the biggest things that i love yeah about being involved with habitat because 
I I remember the day like I bought my home yeah. and how fun it was and you know just like oh I'm a homeowner now yeah. well sometimes uh, <laughs> so, sometimes I'm happy about that uh, but to see this you know this family mm-hmm. uh, like you said you know they've worked so hard on this home they have helped build this home and this means so much to them because you know this could be uh, a new chapter in their life mm-hmm. or. Um, you know, they've worked so hard to rebuild from something that was broken just to be a part of that. Yeah. Just to be part of that experience. And I mean, I would encourage anyone. Yeah. Anyone just to go to one. Yes. Just go. And because at, at first you're like, I mean, I don't I don't understand what what's the big deal. Oh, it's a ceremony. It's whatever. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. But when you go and when you see, especially when they speak mm-hmm. and you just you see how impactful this is. I mean, that's it's more than a house. I mean, it is something far more valuable to these to these families. Yeah. I just love it. It's a turning point. It it's, is. It's it's the start of a new day, and um and they've worked so hard, like I said. So, it's 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 the best, and um so I was excited about that and feeling inspired about that. Um when yeah. and I was thinking about it today. So I'm very excited. Yay. I'm very excited, and I'm happy that you know we'll be able to start doing these in person. Yeah, pretty soon. So we still have a couple that um we're gonna do in in person with a limited crowd, of course, and then of and you know put those on Facebook Live and all that, but um. I'm thinking, you know, real, real soon here. And certainly the ones for, for next year will be back fully in person, which will be great. So. Wonderful. Well, ladies and gentlemen, get yourselves out to go see, uh, to go be part of a dedication. Yes, yeah. It is something. Awesome. Uh, it is something. And it, it, it really just speaks to the mission of Habitat. Today, we're also going to talk about something a little bit more global to the mission of Habitat. I have a great pleasure and honor to introduce a wonderful man that I've had the privilege of working with for a short time. He uh, is a lifelong volunteer of Habitat and has served as the board president and actually served on the board for about six and a half years. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. Wayne Green to the podcast. Well, thank you, Jacqueline. How are you doing, Wayne? Good. Doing well. Good, good. So, Wayne, you have a great experience that we're going to talk about later, but uh, before we jump into that, I just want to, I want the audience to get an understanding of, you know, there's things that we do here locally, mm-hmm. but there's also things that we do around the world. And Allie, Wayne, can you speak to that about this global need uh, that you guys uh, fulfill? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, this this is a really exciting topic for me to today as well. And I and I can't wait to uh, to chat with Wayne more about it also. Um, but I think it's it's one of the pieces that when I first got involved at Habitat, um, I really thought of it. I think when I first thought about Habitat for Humanity, I almost thought of it more in the global sense than I did the the local mission per se. And it's interesting how that works, you know. But I think Habitat for Humanity is so well known. But I really do believe because it is a lot of their their global mission, what we often don't recognize is how much the local work actually does support the global the global effort. So there are actually 70 countries around the world that have Habitat affiliates uh, working, you know, within them. And um, I think that's just fantastic. So within the United States, you know, we have 1,400 affiliates serving the United States. But then there are 70 national organizations globally in other countries around the world that are also um, doing the Habitat mission. And I think the thing to keep in mind is that globally there is such a need for housing. One in four people in the world 
you know, most recent statistics, one in four people globally are actually in need of decent housing and more than things that we don't even think about that more than 80% of the world's population doesn't actually even have legal documentation of their property rights. So this is something we actually heard about a lot when we were building in El Salvador, but just that, you know, somebody could take it away from them at any moment, because what we're so accustomed to here with, you know, legal <laughs> documentation ad nauseum in other parts of the world, that's just not even, you know, a thing. So something that, you know, we wouldn't even think about. But then just other statistics that the United Nations has estimated that more than 10,000 or 10 million, excuse me, 10 million people worldwide die each year from conditions related to substandard housing. And, you know, things like that, you know, it's just, there's such a global need. There's such a huge, huge need outside of our safe walls, I guess, of the United States. And so Habitat is very, very active, you know, in other countries and, and you know, arguably more so than even within the United States. So that's kind of a, you know, a demonstration of the need. So as a response to that, Habitat for Humanity International and thereby U.S. affiliates have been involved in what we call a, a tithing program and then Global Village trips as well. So tithing is really a foundational principle of Habitat for Humanity, and it's a commitment to share 10% of basically our blessings with those around the world or who are in need of that housing. So it's a it's a decision that the the organization has made from the very very beginning roots of it that basically the blessings that we have here we're going to share with those around the world. So um, that's really what we do. Wow, that's awesome that we are helping those in need. And when you hear one in four people in need of housing, mm -hmm. that's twenty five percent. Right. That's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. I mean, I mean, we, we talk about the housing crisis, you know, here in Iowa and in the United States, but just to think that there are 25, a quarter of this population in the world are struggling. Right. And, and, they, and they don't have something as uh, what we deem as a necessity as housing. Right. And then when you actually go travel, you know, to the places outside the United States and see what they even would consider an upgrade or decent housing and, and knowing what the majority of the population in the United States would think about that, that even takes it to a whole nother level. But yeah, so we, uh, we have been very committed as Iowa Heartland Habitat is just one U.S. affiliate. We've been very committed to our tithing program and to supporting the global effort. We have since inception in uh, 1991, we've served 180 families internationally. We've served 177 families locally. So it's almost a one for one with actually a little bit more families that we've been able to serve internationally than locally. And all of that is by contributing 10% of our unrestricted donations we get in every year locally. We contribute 10% of those to the global building effort. Um, and through that, we've supported those 180 families internationally. So it's over $700,000 lifetime that Iowa Heartland Habitat has contributed to the tithing program. The largest portion of that has been to uh, Habitat El Salvador uh, since 2014, and that's over $424,000 that we've supported directly to El Salvador. And Wayne, that is something that you have seen firsthand the benefits of, correct? Right, I have. In fact, El Salvador is the smallest country in Central America, but the most populated. Mm. And the conditions there are pretty poor. I mean, the, what I knew about El Salvador before I went there is that when you read about it, there's like, it's even worse than El Salvador. There's like six out of 10 families that are living in, in inadequate housing. Mm -hmm. And so the statistics are even more mind boggling to me. And and the fact that the land use down there, it's it, it, that country really has a big difference between the haves and have nots. Mm -hmm. And that's what's kind of sad in a way. I mean, that's kind of takes place all over the world. 
but in El Salvador, it's very obvious. Mm -hmm. And so the need there is just tremendous. And so I think that's just great. And one of the things that we've always been committed to and is true about Habitat to its core is, is that partnership idea. And so um, when I first got to Habitat and was introduced to this whole tithing thing and global village and, and, you know, this idea of partnering with a whole nother country, you know, we were nudged by, uh, I was nudged by Lance over in Des Moines Habitat about not just contributing the tithe dollars, but also making a trip and, and going on one of the global village trips and actually going in and building with them. Um, and not just having it be dollars, but having it be that personal connection to where we're, we're committing the dollars, but we're also committing the support and, and meeting the families and, and being able to walk alongside them in, in the capacity that we have. So it was probably some of the best advice that I've been given in my role at Habitat. That's been transformative to me. And then it was a commitment that I had and our board has had for a long time is to, I, I thought it was really important that we give staff members the opportunity to also go down and build so it's not just me but other staff because it is you know it's 10 percent you know that we're sending over there and let's be honest that could go into people's paychecks that could go into more benefits for the staff or what have you or more building locally you know the staff in my opinion it's important that they're committed to it just as deeply as i am or that the board is and so what we really did was send teams of staff first down and gave every staff member that wanted the opportunity to go the opportunity to, to experience that in person. Yeah. And, <clears throat> excuse me. When you say 10% people, especially those that are, you know, very, maybe, you know, fiscally minded, you know, that's, you know, 10%, you know, $700,000, that's a lot of money to, you know, ship out of uh, your backyard mm -hmm. and then to send internationally, you know, but Wayne, you have seen that benefit of that 700,000 plus lifetime. Uh, I mean, how needed was that over there when you went? Well, it was, uh, they're very much of a need. And I think to go on to what Ali is talking about too, is the fact that when it's not only the money we send there, I mean, you can write a check and send money someplace, but to actually have a physical presence there, you cannot believe how you build community with those people. Mm -hmm. So in this case, we partnered with Greater Des Moines Habitat and um, sent a group down there and they do that year after year or alternates whenever their schedule is. But they go back, we go back basically to the same area in El Salvador. And so my experience was when we showed up in the area, the families knew, we knew, they had, the group knew some of the families. They had worked with the families. Mm -hmm. And we actually, the first day we were there, um, one of the, a couple of the families that had, had built, had houses built for them previously hosted a, a supper for us. <laughs> and so we ate there. And we got the tour of their house, and you can't believe how proud they were of their place that they had received. And the fact that um, when the construction guys went down there, some of the masons that work on the houses, they knew them from previous mm -hmm. times they were there. And so just, that's what's amazing to me was the sense of community, the fact that you knew these people, and um, the build on that, that was just, to me, it was just tremendous. Yeah. And I remember uh, going down in 2014, we built for two women um, that had the most adorable little children, you know, ever. And, and um, it was so hard to communicate and all that, but you just fell in love with each other, you know, and we, we had such a great time. And then when I was able to go back, you know, in uh, a few years later, and same kind of idea, like what you just said, and see those women again, but then see their little ones that had that, that had grown up so much in the couple of years since we had seen them, but to see them being healthy and to see them being happy and to see them thriving. 
it was the coolest thing. And we just got a chance one afternoon with a translator to just visit with those two women and just get updates. And we called it girl talk. And um, it was it was so much fun. And we could just stand there and, and visit. But then um, to to very fast forward to today, I am Facebook friends with both of those women and um, continue to stay updated uh, just just through that now, you know, and it, it's just it's amazing. It's amazing. I love that that support system. Mm-hmm. And I love, you know, when you said, it, you know, you can write a check and send it and be done. But th- to actually then reach out that hand and say, you know, let us help you and to go back and to build that bridge and it just to, to see how strong of a connection is built. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Wayne, you went over there for a week, right? Right. So what was that? What was that week like? I mean, what 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 did you accomplish in those seven days? OK, so. When we went over there, we kind of split up in two groups. There was two sites that we built houses on. And one side had one house that was being under construction. And the other side had two houses. And I was I was assigned to that um, site that had the two houses. The, the houses were basically steps apart from each other being built. And there also was just uh, steps up away from the, the house they currently were living in. Mm-hmm. And it was two sisters and their families that were getting these new houses. And the mother and the father... Um, had lived, or the grandparents, I, I call them the grandparents, had, were living in the regular house. And so they had three families living in this one house. And it was exciting to them. Now two more houses are going to be built on this location, and they'd have a house of their own for their own family. And so they were super excited about that. And what was nice, too, about it was kind of cool about the being on the sites is since they were living there, we, we worked right by the house where they currently lived in. So they were there all day doing their daily chores and things. And also helping side by side with us building. And and so you got to interact with them real close and you got to know them. Even though I didn't speak Spanish, I you mm. get to know them and you get to know their, their kids and their families. And I got a little story about that. Maybe I can talk share later, but mm-hmm. um, that's what was really cool. And, and so it's that personal connection you make with these people. Toward the end of the week, I think it was the last day, one of the guys in the group made a comment that really stuck with me. He made the comment that it's amazing how you can fall in love with people in a place in just a week. Mm-hmm. And that is so true. You just, um, until you experience it, you just can't believe it. It's just amazing that, that it happens. It just, it just comes, you know, it's just really cool. What's that? Go ahead. Share. I mean, you can share the story. I, I want to hear it. Well, when we were at the sites, um, like I said, we were working side by side with the families and they were there the whole time. And so they're doing their wash, they're cooking their meals, the kids around playing and stuff. And so you get a chance to interact with them, even though you're working and the kids just love to, to interact with you. And it's funny because, you know, you're trying Spanish on them and they laugh at you. And, <laughs> and it, you know, that sounds like every Spanish class I've been at. Yeah. And so it's kind of fun. And then the story I have is um, the one family, the, the house I was working on specifically, her name was Wilma and Ernesto was a the dad and they had a little girl her name was Nicole and I think I'm guessing she's about three or four years old and so she you know kind of warmed up of course to like Nora and, and the, the women on the group and then <laughs> but she's little she was kind of tentative to kind of interact with me at all and I tried you know to be friendly with her and, and try to play with her a little bit once in a while but then it was kind of fun at the end of the week on a Friday we kind of knocked off early and went to the town and they had a kind of a celebration where Habitat got together and the town the whole town went to the square and they had a food and the mayor spoke and uh, actually the first lady that had a, received a home spoke um, years ago. I forget what year that was, but it was quite a few years ago. Wow. So she spoke. And so we're around there. And then 
I'm standing in the square by Wilma and Ernesto. Wilma's holding her daughter, Nicole, and she's, Nicole's kind of looking at me, you know, kind of, I'm sitting, standing right beside her, she's kind of looking at me. And then all of a sudden she reaches her arms out to me mm. and she wants me to grab her. So I hold it, I grab, took her and I lifted her up in the air <laughs> and you should have seen her eyes, her big brown eyes got real, and her hands went up like she wanted to fly away. And at that moment, it just was just, you can't, I, I guess I can't really describe the feeling, but that's the kind of connections you make with these people is that that whole week um, you interact with them. And then at that very end, when she reached her hands out to me, it just melted my heart. Yeah. And it was just a, just a tremendous experience for me. And it's just like all that sweat, you know, all the blisters, all the work you did that whole week in that one second made it all worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And so... We have a picture of that too. Nora took a picture of that when they were down there and uh, maybe we'll add it to some show notes or something, but that's such a cool picture of you with her. It was I, awesome. I was going to say, I, I think I remember sitting in a board meeting where mm-hmm. you, they, we showed that picture. Um, and yeah, that just pictures speak a thousand words. They yeah. do. Let's just say that pictures speak a thousand words. Yeah. Uh, Wayne, this whole trip is, I think something that, everyone should be able to experience oh, yes. uh but you a lot had happened i mean you're you know building houses you're making these connections with people um and it could be probably overwhelming but did you ever find time to you know walk away from the situation and and just look at everything that you were doing and kind of debrief and and find you know moments to just kind of soak it all in sure what was nice about the habitat the way it was organized is we would go to the work site during the day and then we come back to our hotel. And then we have, after we had our dinner, we talk, we get together and have kind of meetings or debriefings or whatever you want to call it. But you talk about the day and, and we talk about habitat and what we experienced. And so we had a lot of time to, at that point, to share as a group what we were experiencing. And so a lot of neat things came up, you know, mm-hmm. what people were feeling, you know, what we saw, what we, we heard, what we were experiencing. So that was really neat, I think. Habitat did a really nice job of getting that, you know, so you could you could experience, you could realize, okay, this is what I'm experiencing, this is what I feel, this is what other people are feeling, and it just made the whole experience just that much better. Ali, as an executive director, how do you? It's not it might be a loaded question, but <laughs> you always ask me loaded questions. Why I would really you stop do. now? It's, it's kind of fun, honestly. Yeah. You know, here's the thing: when I ask Allie a question, her eyes just get super big. Like, oh, sweet Jesus, yeah. what is he about to say? It's uh, always interesting. It, it, it really is. It's never a dull moment with Jacqueline Madison. Bring it. <laughs> but no, as an executive director, I mean, what does that do for you? What does that do for the staff when? You know, they go over to places like El Salvador and they uh, work with these families and these communities. It's been transformational for literally every single one of them. You know, it's not an insignificant investment. And yet seeing what it does and how it changes their lives, um, you know, and, and humbles them in ways that you don't even think about, you know, and you can't think about until you actually experience it. It's so amazing and the team building and the memories that you create just even within the team because you know what they're talking about you know like you know that when somebody's like oh my gosh yeah that in El Salvador and this and oh that family or this experience or what have you and we share this now common language that that's on a deeper level than anything that we could have ever done here 
you know, together. It's really cool. And then, and also just how the building is different there. I think that is just completely eye-opening to our staff just in general of what they don't have and everything that we're blessed with just even the tools i mean yeah. i, I, I mean, can tell you stories about that too let's hear it okay. yeah <laughs> well let's talk about the building okay, oh my so gosh if, yeah um, the construction down there is basically cement block mm-hmm. and because of the climate and things like that and so there's no basements of course but so you you lay a foundation and i think ali you got in not a lot of digging yep when you were down there <laughs> You dig a trench and you basically pour cement there to get a foundation. Then you put block on top of that. So it's all masonry work. Everything's by hand. And so the moving the dirt in, moving the sand in, moving the concrete in, or the cement mm-hmm. in, it's all by wheelbarrow. Mm-hmm. And so you have a truck loaded, you know, maybe a couple, a hundred yards away from the building sites. Mm-hmm. And you load everything in a wheelbarrow and you load it or you wheel it to the site itself by the house. And so it's all hand. And then... The interesting thing that I thought was um, funny but was how they mix their cement. Yeah. And Volcanoes. so what you do is they call them a <laughs> volcano. And yeah. so what you do is you pile up the the sand and the dirt and you make a big kind of a, a big mound of it and you, you kind of dig out the middle of it mm-hmm. and that's what the volcano is. So then you pour the water in the middle of the volcano and then you start scooping the sand into the middle mm-hmm. and that's how you mix your cement. It's all done by hand. There's no cement mixers. You know, I'm thinking to myself, okay, back up the truck. Let's get the cement mixer yeah, in here. Exactly. Make it a lot easier. But yeah, yeah. Beep, beep, beep. Nope. <laughs> Nothing like that. It's all by hand. And so to see that, and then the, the block is all laid by hand. And, um, you know, all the stuff you, you think, you know, all these tools we have back home, all, just you don't have it there. And so no. just the actual building conditions are way different. And They're so just a different. lot of work. Yeah, it it's is a lot, lot of work. And, and, you know, thinking, out, well, why would the truck stop 200 yards away from the build site? Because they can't get there. Can't get there. No. You know, like they're on dirt roads. They are in the jungle, basically. I mean, you know, a lot of this is like a jungle feel in a way or very, very heavily uh, with vegetation and, and it's, such. It's very hilly. I very mean, hilly. Slope, there's slopes. And when yeah. the one house, they were, even though they're close to each other, the one was way lower than the other because yeah. of the slope, you know. Yeah, the just the, the mountainside or and what so you have you. So you have to wheelbarrow up and down those just from house to house even. Yeah. And so it's quite a bit, just a lot of work. And um, like Ellie said, you just can't get the places with trucks and things like that. It just doesn't work. No. And I know the one day we were there, the first time I was there, and the truck had stopped on the road and unloaded. And I thought it was a joke. Like then when they first said that, they were like, well, the, tr- the truck's going to unload up. I'm like, what? You know? Yeah. yeah. I was like, I didn't understand. I literally was so stupid. I didn't even understand. And we went up there and it was, it was so far away. And I'm like, you're kidding me that we're literally going to, and you can't even, I mean, like mounds and mounds of concrete block and it's out there. And I was like, and, and we are going to carry this down this hill and, and whatever. And then it starts raining. And it was the rainy season in September when we were there the first time. And literally, we chain ganged it the whole way. I mean, we were from the road and then however many feet it would be apart. And and we were just carrying block, 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 block in the middle of the pouring rain. And I remember one of their uh, masons that um, we were just tired and I think he could see it like that. And, and he just he just gave the speech of all speeches, you know, just like. You know, I know this is hard. I know you're tired, but if you could dig down deep into your heart and just finish this pile, you know, like it's going to mean so much to the families. And I'm like, yes, we will. <laughs> like, we will do it. 
Um, but it just, it, you did the hard thing because you just looked around you and you're like, well, who else is going to do this if we're not helping do this? Yeah. Like, cause you know, like then it's just going to be on them to do it. And, and we're here and we're here to help, yeah. you know? And the thing is too, is when I, the experience I had was when you're working beside the Masons and the families who are working in the houses and I, you know, I think I can do a fair amount of work. I'm kind of mm-hmm. think I can, but I can hardly keep up with them. Yeah. They, they work amazing, amazing how what they can do because they're used to that manual hard labor. And so I'm thinking I'm, I'm trying to keep up, but sorry. I mean, yeah, and it's different. I mean, yeah. and, and I remember we would, we would wake up in the next, you know, we wake up in the morning and we'd get to the job site in the morning. I don't know if this was the same for you, but like the Masons had been there since like oh, dawn, yeah. you know, and they had had like all this extra stuff done. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably just tired of us trying to they help look fresh with this. To me. But, I mean, they look like right? they're ready to go. Like they were, we're yeah. dragging ourselves out of bed. So. <laughs> And they had done a lot overnight, like kind of just like trying to get ahead. And so we, we move block, like you said, Ellie, mm-hmm. move a lot of block with a wheelbarrow and, and sand and dirt mm-hmm. and things. And then we get done with that. We get a big pile. We're proud of ourselves. We got a big pile ready for the Mason to use. And then what's our next job? And so um, the Mason says something to an interpreter and the interpreter comes and says, okay, now we, we're making this porch here. So we need you to dig four inches away from this porch here. Here's your pickaxe and mm-hmm. your shovel. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, and three feet deep. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, back to it. Oh, and then in the halfway down, you're going to encounter a massive boulder that yep. you have to get an, a, an iron bar and make a level and, and basically try to like bust this massive boulder that's in the middle of your your trench, you know, out and all by hand. Yep. And then you want to cut block. So you have to, you know, sometimes you come to corners, you have to cut the block. Okay, so where's our cement saw? You know, well, you... You do it with a chisel and you be real careful that you, you know, chisel away and you crack the block at the right spot. And of course the Masons can do it and slickly split. Oh yeah. But uh, you know, just things like that. Everything's by hand and they're, and they're amazing. Yeah. Like, and, and, and then like making their, their line. I yep. don't know if you experienced that, yep. but just like they tie strings on little like wood, like stakes almost or whatever. And, and, and to make sure that everything's level, level. And I mean, just this science like that, we just get so used to having tools yep. that do it for us. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, I'm a wimp. I... <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I thought. Of. I didn't think I was, but I know I am now. No, say, no I know I am, Wayne. I know I'm a wimp. Uh, th- you know, this is this is conversation that we can go on for hours. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, this, gosh, this time goes by so fast. Yeah. Hours. This time goes by so fast. But, Wayne, I want to ask you this. And, Ali, I, you know, you can answer this, too. Would you do it again? Oh, yeah, in a second. Mm-hmm. I would love to. I'm oh, yeah. hoping they started back up. Yeah. Soon we'll, we'll see, I guess. But Yeah, I would I would absolutely go back. Um, I want everybody to get a chance to go, you know. Um, and it's been really hard being away from them, you know, knowing even if I wasn't always the one there or Wayne's not there, there's some member of our team that gets to be there and, and that we've, during the pandemic, has been really hard because we haven't been able to go. But I think everybody should and and not just to flash in and flash out and oh look at me I did this really hard thing but it builds your character it builds your empathy in building relationship and it just caring. opens your eyes to it does what the what the world is I mean you forget you get complacent I think mm-hmm. you know, living here even though we do have poverty and we do have a, a tremendous housing need here locally and in the country just to see it it's a worldwide issue and i think it's really our duty and um, obligation to not just make it local but to do it worldwide 
Yeah. And I think it, it's tremendous that Habitat and, and our affiliates are willing to do that. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it sounds humbling. Mm-hmm. You know, it is. It, it is. It, it sounds humbling. And I, I, I just think of the whatever work I've done on my home and the just the sheer tools that, you know, I've gotten frustrated with and I've, you know, thrown because I'm like, ah, oh, no, work, you mm-hmm. thing. And then to think, oh, well, do you want to do this by hand? You mm-hmm. know, that just... That's an amazing experience. One thing I really wanted to share, and this was, it meant a lot to me. We, one of the things we did is after we're done working one late afternoon, we went to a coffee plantation to take a tour, to see mm-hmm. how they do coffee. Cause coffee is one of their big exports and one of their big um, agricultural products. And so um, I think the, the, the tour guide, I think his name was Paul. And so he's, he speaks Spanish, of course. So he's giving us a tour and tell us how they do coffee and all this kind of stuff on this plantation. And then at the end of it, we go to this little shop that sells coffee and things, and we're done with the tour. And so Paulo was talking to Catherine, one of our interpreters, and I can tell the story he's telling her is is really he's getting really kind of agitated or really into it. His arms are flaying and stuff. And I'm standing there thinking, I wish I knew Spanish. I wish I knew the story. And so after we got done and we were walking back to the hotel, I told Catherine, "You got to tell us what he was, his story." He was. Um, I don't know if anybody's familiar with that uh, massacre that happened mm-hmm. in the, a little village about five area. miles from where we were staying, um, El Masoto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was a massacre. I think about 700, 800 people were killed. The, the military had gotten people out of their houses and put them to the square and it just started mm-hmm. killing people. Yep. His, he lost a number of family members in that massacre. Mm-hmm. And he was telling Catherine about that. And so he talked about, okay, after his family members got killed, they had a couple choices. They could either go to join the guerrillas or go to Honduras, you know, across the border for safety. And he chose to stay with the guerrillas. Mm. He was 12 years old mm. at that time. And I'm just thinking, we have no idea what these people are living. And this was in the 1980s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, not that long ago. I mean, it's just yeah, amazing. Early to me. 90s, and even, yeah. I'm thinking this guy is basically my age and he went through that. Mm-hmm. And um, so I just and think I, we don't realize what no, the no. conditions they. They've gone through recently. I mean, it's not just like 100 years ago. It's recent. And what I found is so interesting there is I felt uncomfortable the first time that we did a lot of uh, some of the cultural experiences there to to um, go through their memorials and to do all of that from their civil war. Um, but and and I felt like because I think the United States, you know, had some role in this actually on the on and supporting their government, who right. was against basically all of these people that were the yeah. guerrillas that are the, in the families that we're working with. And so I was very I always felt kind of like embarrassed, like, oh, my gosh, I think our government helped your government do something really not great to you. But what I found was so fascinating is that they just want to tell their story and they want the opportunity to um, be heard and they love having Americans there so that they can share their story. Mm-hmm. And I think the best thing that we could do is listen mm-hmm. and empathize and try to understand their experience. And, um, and, and, and they're not, they don't hold a grudge. I mean, right. it's, it's, I didn't, I didn't sense at all. No, I mean, they're so at peace and um, kind. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you know, it was, it's incredible. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just another example of, you know, building that relationship with these people is just amazing. That's, that's, profound and I'm I'm glad that that's an experience that you had and you were able to share that and just sharing everything uh, about your trip to El Salvador both you and Allie uh, because it's eye-opening and we see all of the work that Habitat does here locally but we never hear about 
what we do on that international global level. So thank you so very much, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Wayne Green, an outstanding volunteer uh, for Iowa Heartland and a wonderful board president that I uh, got to work under for a, a, a time being. So Yay. I, <laughs> he's like, ooh, I like that. Yeah, uh, uh, but no, I, I, I'm really happy uh, that I, I have just been able to, to get to know you and I, the organization is very happy to have you. Yeah. Uh, so thank you so very much. And Wayne, I don't know. Would you want to stay around for some trivia? Um, I guess so. I'm sitting here. So, yeah, you can't get out, can't get actually. Out. Yeah. So. I was blocking the door. So. <laughs> that, there's a reason why we place Allie where we do. Yeah, okay. So she will tackle you. Okay. Uh, she is... Uh, That's funny. <laughs> she is not to be messed with. No, Wayne told us, he goes, before I before I showed up, I listened to all the podcasts, and he goes, I don't know why I'm here. Uh, <laughs> yes, true. Whatever. So, so he, questioned, he questioned showing up because he knows how violent this can get. He always says these things about himself yeah. and then he always just is a mic drop every single time oh. he's like the best he's so inspirational and well, well, I, 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 let's see what happens ladies and let's get to some trivia So Nora is not here. No, uh, so Nora is, is not here. So this is gonna be so. But she pre, <laughs> she prepared some questions for us. She did. I don't trust Allie. I'm sure oh. Allie has <laughs> steamed these things open, <laughs> has looked at them, and already knows where we're going. So here's where. No. We're, the best thing is that Nora left them to me in a sealed envelope before I mean, she left. This is like she, the Emmys over here, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Until she trusts Ellie. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, geez. She, she definitely didn't leave yeah. them with me. because I would have opened those puppies the second yeah. she gave them to me. There's a reason why I didn't get them. Here's what we're going to do. Okay, so I, Allie, I think you should read the question and I should read the answer. Perfect. The, now the answer, literally, folks, this answer sheet says answer. Then it has another sheet over it with a staple that says no peeking with the answer <laughs> underneath it. So Nora, we love you. This is this is more secure than my bank, actually. <laughs> okay, here we go. All right. So on behalf of Miss Nora, who's out Good enjoying world. spring. Okay, here is the question, y'all. The population of El Salvador is 6.48 million in 2021, according to data from the UN. What percentage of the population lives in urban areas? Oh, she's kind of calling out that um, where we built and yep. Hokuatike yep. um, is really in the rural mountain region area, yes, which yep. we haven't talked about, I suppose, a lot. So she's trying to figure out how many of the what popular or what percentage of the population of the 6.48 million in El Salvador live in an urban, urban. area. Okay. Wayne, you're she's always guess. trying to make us sound so dumb. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it, for me, it's not that hard. <laughs> I do that on a daily basis. I mean, like, there's literally times where it's a percentage question, and it and I and somebody's like three percent, and it's actually like a hundred and four percent. You know, Allie, you were over here trying to compare. What was it that the, the, the there was a resource the size of the Taj Mahal? Oh yeah. So oh, yeah. don't even start. <laughs> Allie's like, oh, two hundred thousand square feet. And I'm like, I'm sorry. Is this the Empire State Building all of a sudden? I have high hopes. Okay. So what percentage lives in urban, urban areas? areas? So I'm going to say 39. 39%. That's an interesting percentage. Okay. Wow. That's very specific. Okay. Okay. 
Jacqueline. No, you go. Me? Alex. Yeah, you go. Oh, gosh. I'm going to go with 75%. Okay. I'm going to well, go really high. Go big or go home. Well, I'm going to cheat, and I'm going to do a range because I'm not going to say <laughs> He well. always does this. I, he hedges his bets. Listen, I'm sorry. <laughs> Whose face is also on this podcast? I can do what I want. Thank you. Your high school teachers are already like either shocked in shock and awe of like excitement or disappointment. No, so. they, they, they honestly, they all just hang their heads low. They all just hang their heads low. So my guess is going to be between 60 to 70%. Okay. So okay. we have 39%, okay. 60 to 70% and 75%. All right. So on this, it says answer, no peeking. I'm going to look. You know us, Nora. She really does. So she says, so she wants me. So this says on here. First off, Jacqueline is my favorite. Oh. And I think that he's the smartest person of the podcast. Those are wow. her words. Her wow, words, ladies and gentlemen. I'm just reading. I think them. Nora fell and hit her head before she wrote that. I think Nora's just fine. So thank you, Nora, for writing that about I'm have me. To give her an email. Yes, please do. Please do. I think she needs one. So thank you, Nora. Uh, I love. I love this. The answer is. 64%. Oh my gosh. 64%. Oh. Again, Nora was right. I'm the smartest one on the podcast. Thank you, Nora. No, he's the peaker. He actually, <laughs> no. He's the one that actually figured out a way to peek ahead of time. Well, maybe. You know, you never know. <laughs> so she writes down here, so 64%. The majority of El Salvador's poor population live in rural areas and face challenges with finding running water and livable wages. Oh, yeah. Okay. So that that makes sense. Yep. Why? Um, that's why they've really wanted us to focus on that rural rural community for our building and prove it as much as you can yeah exactly oh we've had too much fun today we've had a lot i need a nap now uh always outdoes himself i really do it's not okay like i I go home and i just like take an hour nap after this i just always work up wayne's just like why wayne has never (laughs) taken a nap in his life probably like Wayne keeps busy. Wayne keeps busy. Uh, but no, in all honesty, Wayne, thank you so very much for joining yeah. us today and thank sharing you. your just stories and everything you experience in El Salvador. We greatly appreciate yep, that. You're welcome. Uh, and ladies and gentlemen, thank you for making the conscious decision to join <laughs> us again back here on Bringing Down the House. It is always wonderful to share this time with you. Uh, I'm Jaquela Madison. She is Allie Parrish. And we will see you right back here next time at the same place you found us. Take care, everyone.